You're listening to Hello Vancouver. I'm your host, Temple Lentz. Thank you for joining us. In this week's show, I'm speaking with Dr. John Steech, Superintendent of the Evergreen Public School District. We met the week before school was starting to talk about the plans for the year, the makeup of the school district, and what we can look forward to in the future. I'm sitting now in the office of Dr. John Steech, Superintendent for the Evergreen Public School District. May I call you John, or do yeah. I have to call you Dr. Steech? John, it's okay. <laughs> Doctor is only for the position, not for me. Excellent. Well, uh, John, uh, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. I've been here in Vancouver for three years. It's a great community. I'm excited to finally be able to take over the school district and hopefully lead Vancouver or Evergreen into uh, doing some things that we've only imagined in the past in education. Well, fantastic. And so you actually led into this. So this is your first year as superintendent of the Evergreen Public Schools. Right. I was superintendent in Camby, Oregon for three years mm -hmm. and then was hired as deputy superintendent and completed a uh, two and a half year job interview. And the board, <laughs> after two and a half years, when John announced his retirement, offered me the position and I was excited to be able to accept. I have to hand it to John Dieter. He gave me a lot of opportunities to be able to develop relationships with the staff um, get to know the culture of Evergreen, and I think that was his vision and the board's vision, is that I would learn enough about Evergreen that by the time I was able to take over, I would understand what's ripe for Evergreen mm -hmm. and not come in with preconceived notions on changes that needed to be made that may not be consistent with the values of our staff, students, and, and parents. Well, so then can you tell me what, is the, what, uh, what are the values of Evergreen? What is the, what is the culture of this school district? Evergreen's built on a, I call it the, the biggest small district I've ever seen. And there's a lot of autonomy that exists within Evergreen that doesn't exist in many school districts. We trust our teachers to do the right things. So we provide resources to teachers. We provide a scope and sequence or a structure that they're expected to teach within. But teachers have the freedom to deviate, to use supplemental materials, to build their own content in order to help students navigate through their learning. Um, in the same way, Evergreen's based on what we call workshop instruction, where the belief is the person doing the talking is doing the learning. So you won't see many, if any, teachers standing up lecturing for extended periods of time in the classroom. Teachers give small mini-lessons, and then they create collaborative experiences for students to work through together where they can communicate and develop those 21st century skills. And it's more of an exploratory learning than a sit-and-get. You know, we describe it as turning education from a school bus into Uber. Instead of everybody having to meet at the bus stop and go to the, mm -hmm. you know, go from one location to this other, another location at the same time in the same way, we pick up students where they're at, we figure out where they want to go, and then work with them side by side to define the best pathway to get them there. Now, something that's been uh, a conversation for a long time, probably as long as the tests have existed, are you know state tests and requirements that students have to have uh, in order to graduate, in order to move ahead. How does the individualized learning intersect with the state requirements that this, this, they have for students? And we still have to comply with this, all the state requirements. The Core 24 is going to be a struggle for us with the increased graduation requirements. Can you describe that? Core 24. <laughs> the State Board of Education has mandated that high school students will have 24 credits to graduate. Okay. The, the old requirement was 21 and a half. Evergreen had 22 and a half, so we wanted more than the state minimum. Mm -hmm. But 24, when you think of a six-period schedule, 
if a high school student has four years in our high school, six periods a day, that's 24 credits. So if they fail one class, they're no longer on track to graduate. Right. So what we're looking at is some innovative approaches of allowing those students in the concept of personalizing. But we, we're creating opportunities where students might be able to earn more than one credit for a course. So we can, there's, um, within the state law, you can have standards-based credit. So we can take two classes and really merge them together and have an English and a physics credit given at the same time for the same class. Hmm. So it's not time-based, it's proficiency-based and based on the standards. And we're in the process of exploring that right now and should be rolling out a few of those classes this year at our comprehensive high schools um, especially for our sophomores, juniors, and seniors, for them to be able to catch up on credits. Mm -hmm. While not diluting the, the learning that happens, it integrates the learning and it breaks down the barriers between the departments to where you can actually make authentic learning experiences and connect them to the community. And physics may have writing components and reading components in it that meet those requirements that you would normally call sophomore English. Mm -hmm. Would the teachers then work together on the lesson? Like a physics teacher and an English teacher would sort of work together. They wouldn't necessarily team teach, but influence each other's yeah. curriculum? And, and there's several ways you can do it. You could create a two-hour block with two teachers, oh. six, you know, mm -hmm. 55 to 60 kids. And in that two-hour block, you could actually give three credits. You could have an English credit. You could have a physics credit or a science credit. And then you could have an elective credit that is on um, work-based learning skills that get into those collaboration mm -hmm. communication that you have electives that we have in other areas, but you can integrate it within that. So long gone are the days where I can bestow upon a student an incremental body of knowledge that will serve them in a career for their lifetime. I have to teach them how to learn, right? how to be lifelong learners, how to gather information off of from multiple sources how to synthesize that information collaborate with others communicate half a world away with people to create new thoughts new ideas new work products that will improve our world that's a whole different paradigm than back in 50s 60s 70s when yeah. it was about what career do you want yeah and just memorize this and we'll see you tomorrow right and so with something like this that I think is fantastic and uh, has the potential, as you're saying, to develop whole people as opposed to simply a, a, a select knowledge base, how do you measure success on that? That's a pretty long trajectory. That's going to be a lot of the work we as a district are going to be doing over the next 18 months. So we've got those state tests that you talked about that have some merit, but they're way overused for what they were in, ever intended mm -hmm. for by the public, by policymakers, by our critics, you know, they serve a specific role. We've also added in, in Evergreen, we adopted iReady, which is an assessment system, which mm -hmm. we can do progress monitoring on individual students, benchmarking. We can do diagnostics, which gives teachers information. So we as a system can t start to see that academic growth. We also have added um, SWIS, which is a, a discipline data system that we are now providing to every school. So we're going to get consistent discipline data from every school on what type of discipline do we have, what are the rates. We can break it down. We've looked at from the state perspective. We know we have disproportionality, that our students of color are disciplined at rates two to three times mm. more than our Caucasian students, which is an issue for us as a system. But until we get that data and figure out how to analyze it, 
it's very hard to say how are we going to fix that. Mm-hmm. So we have a variety of initiatives. A lot of you know two main areas of initiatives. Evergreen for the last since I've been here in three years, we focused on equity, and we focused on personalized learning. And we see personalized learning as even an extension of that equity mm-hmm. of if you can allow a student to make choices in their own learning, they can make choices that are consistent with their culture. And they don't necessarily have to align with the white middle class culture that's been predominant in education in the United States almost forever. The personalized learning does offer this incredible opportunity to, like you said, meet students where they are and really work on their development. That also sounds like a lot, sounds like a lot of extra work for teachers. How is the how are the te- how's the teaching staff adapting? Right now, the the teachers that we that had devices last year that were working towards personalizing using our new instructional framework, um, and we're getting access and piloting our digital content. It was it was doable, and they were excited about the progress they were able to make. I know I've got teachers right now who haven't had the devices, haven't had the content that are skeptical. Mm-hmm. Last June, um, the Columbian ran an article on our curriculum adoption that said Evergreen goes from paper to pixels. We had eight major curriculum adoptions in one night. Oh, my which, gosh. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you gave me the reaction that I expect to get. You know, I was doing our new teacher orientation with about 200 teachers yesterday morning, and I said we adopted eight content areas last in June. How many of you have ever heard of a district that has done that? And no hands went up. And we had teachers coming from other districts that we had hired in that, too. They're not just right out of school. Maybe only a quarter of them are first-year teachers. Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever heard that. So over a three-year period, we're readopting every single content area and doing it with digital content. And, and our philosophy is to create more of a menu for teachers of these are the four or five preferred con- lessons or content that go along with this course at this time. Mm-hmm. But it's up to the teachers and the students to choose which one. And even within those, they may choose a social studies article, but the, the content that we're purchasing now allows you to change the reading level of that social studies article across probably six grade levels. Oh, wow. So you could have students in your class all reading the same content article, but each one able to access it at their own reading level mm-hmm. as selected through our our assessment software that will inform the teacher of what their current reading level is and say this is what you can provide for them. You compare that to having to go to a book room and search that out or trying to go online and just search. Yeah. It, it's really about making sure they the teachers have those resources and are, are, are trained and adapt, adept in how to get those resources into the hands of the kids as they need them. Can you t- you know, we started talking about the district without necessarily talking about the makeup of the district. Can you really quickly uh, share uh, what, the, what the boundaries of the district are? Where is the Evergreen School District? And then what is the makeup of, this, of the student population? Yeah, Evergreen School District's a little hard to define. It, it really goes from about... Half a mile west of 205, mm-hmm. and the, the boundary line actually cuts right through the hospital, <laughs> and just this side of the mall, just um, east of the mall, and it goes out to um, just past 192nd, mm-hmm. or 192nd um, at the river, and it heads up, and then it jogs over, and it goes out to about 99th Street to the north. Um, there's no city of Evergreen which makes it difficult for us to have an identity. Everybody knows Vancouver, everybody knows Camas, Washougal, right. Ridgefield. They all have a city they're associated with. We're East County. Mm-hmm. And we used to be seen as the wealthier East County, 
with very little poverty back in the 80s, the 90s, you know, right after the 205 bridge went in. We had developments that started popping up that were fairly affluent. And we didn't have a lot of poverty in this district. But between the year 2000 and 2010, we went from a district of 23% free and reduced lunch to a district of 47% yeah. free and reduced lunch to where now half of our kids qualify for free and reduced lunch. Additionally, we have, for the last each of the last two years, over 1,000 of our students have qualified under the McKinney-Vento Homeless Act. And so what is that, what's that definer? In, with, under that act, what defines They don't somebody? have a stable home. Mm-hmm. They're either living out of a car, a tent, they're couch surfing, hotels, motels. Yeah. And so we as a system have had to look at that and say, we have different kids than we've ever had before, and we have to start approaching education differently to where in 30 years ago, we focused primarily on academics. Now we focus on all of Maslow's levels. Right. We, we, we are feeding kids. We're making sure they're clothed. We're providing mental health um, treatment and support. We have four different mental health providers that give us counselors that are in our elementary schools on an average of four days a week per elementary school that are working with kids as, as early as kindergarten. You know, we get kin- it. Yesterday I was at a, um, a meeting with the county schools advisory council, and we were talking about the mental health issues that we have in our community. And one of the struggles that I have as a superintendent that every school almost across the nation is having now is we have kindergartners coming into our system with severe behavioral um, issues. And they come in, and you wouldn't believe what a five-year-old could do to a classroom. We we have computers flying across the rooms, things being torn down off the walls. I have principal in three weeks. I guarantee you, I will have at least five principals calling me saying they need at least two adults for each one of these kids to be able to keep them in the school during the school day. Wow! And if a kid is coming in with uh, issues that severe, how not only can how how can they learn, but the other students in the classroom? Exactly. And what we've as a system have had to identify is it's not what's wrong with the kid; it's what has happened to the kid that mm-hmm. has gotten to them to this point. So we are implementing trauma informed care. I mentioned earlier, Evergreen's been big on autonomy. Well, sometimes autonomy gets in the way of helping kids, especially when you have mobility. So one of the things I did last week with our administrative team is I said, we are a PBIS district. It's a positive behavior um, uh, systems. So we're going to have a consistent discipline system, K-12 across the district starting this year. Mm -hmm. And I told the principals, it's not a matter of if you're going to do this, it's a matter of when. And some schools are farther along, they've already implemented it. We've gone to restorative practices um, as a discipline philosophy K-12 to where you, what we, we don't want to be looking at discipline as punitive, we want to be looking at it as a teaching experience. And part of the teaching experience is identifying what caused the behavior to happen, who was harmed by the behavior, how do you fix the harm done to that person in a way that allows both students to then stay in the educational environment and feel respected and and welcomed Mm -hmm. and not alienated by the system and create additional trauma beyond what they've already experienced that may have led to their behavior to begin with. So what are some of, you mentioned uh, the mental health services. What are other more social services that uh, the school district is also providing. Yeah, so we have uh, 
family community resource centers mm -hmm. in, in 14 of our elementary schools where we provide food pantry, clothes pantry. We have a, it's staffed by an employee that have computers that can access different social services. They have a network that we've created between Evergreen and Vancouver um, that we're able, when families come in and need and say, here's our need, we know where to direct them and hold their hand and actually make those connections for them. Additionally, um, John and the board last year made a decision to eliminate our elementary supply list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's been a huge benefit to our families in poverty. I heard, I was talking to a teacher just yesterday, shared a story that she was standing in a grocery store um, over in Vancouver School District, and there was a family with three young children that were buying school supplies and groceries at the same time. And when the total was rang up, the family looked around and said, we don't have enough to buy our food. So they started pulling food off oh, of dear. their grocery, out of their groceries. And we're saying they were going to return it. And our teacher stepped up and paid for their groceries because couldn't bear to see that. But she wanted to share that story with me on how proud she was that Evergreen has led the way and said, we aren't going to have families provide school mm -hmm. supplies at the elementary. We don't charge for athletic and activity fees anymore. We have created a budget for every elementary school to have field trips again. That was something that was cut during the recession, but we feel that we need all of our kids to have those type of experiences. We provide transportation after school for athletics activities and tutoring. In addition to that, we now feed supper to about 500 students a day. So we have kids that get their breakfast, lunch, and dinner at school, mm -hmm. and the additional transportation we provided at the end of the day allows more kids to be able to access that. So how do you pay for all that? Some of, the, some of it we, use our, we can use federal funds for. Mm -hmm. We get um, Title I for our poverty money from the federal government. Mm -hmm. We get some poverty money from the state through LAP or Learning Assistance Program. We use those funds, and some of it comes out of the levy. You know, the, the field trips comes out of the levy. The mm -hmm. school supply comes out of our levy. And with the changes at the legislature with McClary, that's something we're going to have to sort out a year from now. But we still, we still see those as viable expenses that the state's going to authorize us to be able to spend local levy money for. Okay. And that's – so you mentioned the legislature. And uh, on a few shows past, talked to some of our state legislators about – uh, the McCleary decision, which to sort of do the, the the nickel tour of that in the nutshell version, is that the state legislature ended up getting sued in order to fully fund education. Yeah. And the description of what fully fund means was a lot of the negotiation over the last few years. But they closed the session with the idea that it is fully funded now. We think we figured it out. We'll see what the courts say about it. But then they also didn't pass the capital budget, which is how a lot of that gets funded. So what is... Yeah. From the school district perspective, where are we on that? Capital and operating are two different yeah. budgets. I'll start with the operating side. Is I was amazed the legislature pulled off what they did. We had very little hope getting into the end of the session that anything was going to be yeah. done. I think in general they did a pretty good job, but part of it was a shell game. Mm -hmm. um, they moved local levy money. They reduced our capacity to pay to raise local levy money but then increased property taxes at the state level, mm -hmm. which is just trading property tax for local levy to right. property tax for state levy. And then the state's giving us the money instead of us collecting it from our local property owners. Um, so the adequacy of that has yet to be seen. Um, there's some implementation things that are going to be really tricky. They eliminated the state salary schedule for teachers. 
So in Washington, we would actually turn, we would do some calculations based on the education level and the year service of every teacher in the district. And we would turn in off of this calculation what's called a staff mix factor. Mm-hmm. And it would be multiplied by the base salary. And we theoretically would get the amount of money we needed to pay for the, the, the teachers we have based on their education and their experience. By eliminating the state salary schedule now, if we have highly experienced teachers, it costs more, but the state doesn't give us more to pay for those. Mm. Um, it's similar to Oregon's funding system where it's more of an allocation formula than a funding formula. In Oregon, they just give you a certain amount of money based on how much the state has available to pay for K-12 education, and you make it fit. And if you choose to negotiate higher salaries, you have to lay people off because you just don't have the money to pay them. So we're going to mm-hmm. continue to have discussions with the legislature on how to actually implement that Implement that and what that means relative to collective bargaining. So there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of different opinions between the organizations involved. Um, On the capital side, right now it's not really impacting Evergreen because we haven't passed a bond since 2002. Mm -hmm. Um, We went out right at the beginning of the recession for another bond effort, and it did not do well during the first year of the recession. People weren't willing to raise taxes. (laughs) Um, but we are in the position of being very close to retiring our complete capital debt from two, the 2002 mm. bond. So I've been working with some community leaders. Um, we've got a committee within the district, and we're exploring running a bond next spring. And right now we're running estimates that we could raise about $600 million in bond funds at our current tax rate mm. without, increasing without increasing the tax rate. Um, so we're very likely going to be putting that bond on the ballot next spring. We, when you drive around and look at the Evergreen schools, you'll notice we've got some fairly old elementary schools. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of older middle schools. And a couple of them are really past the point of when something should have been done. Mm-hmm. Ideally, the 2009 bond would have already taken care of all of those. Right. So we're hoping to be able to address... Um, at least 10, if not a dozen elementary schools, one of the middle schools, and some of our other um, at-risk programs. You know, We have our post-high um, transition program, which are 18 to 21-year-olds continuing to learn life skills because they're eligible for education. Um, they're actually in the Crestwood Mall. Hmm. We have two storefronts that we lease there on an ongoing basis. Oh, my goodness. Because um, we just haven't had the ability to put facilities that really those students need to be able to fund um, building those facilities. So in addition to those elementaries, we are looking at some of our at-risk student programs and what ideally could we do to be able to bring some of those programs together. So something that I want to ask you about is something that I saw on Facebook the other day. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, You had a conference that I want you to tell me about, but I also want you to tell me about some of the entertainment, which was you and a number, it looked like, of other teachers and students uh, performing for the group uh, with a a dedicated song based on, from Hamilton. Yes. uh, In costume. And in fact, when I walked into your office, I saw the costume over the back of the chair. So uh, are you taking it on the road? (laughs) Uh, No, actually, my wife made the costumes. And because it was Hamilton, 
and the Revolutionary War. Heritage High School is doing 1776 this year, so uh, my wife is donating the jackets to Union High School, or not Union, Heritage High School for their upcoming play. Nice. Um, yeah, we had a, this is the second year we've held what we call our one-by-one -one conference, mm -hmm. and what we've tried to do is we realize that we have a limited amount of professional development time during the contracted year, and you know, with state funding, there's limitations to how much time we can bring people in. So as an administrative team, we felt let's create a great professional development experience and just open it up for our teachers to come. As the new superintendent, I wanted to kind of kick off my tenure with a, with a bang. In my three years coming in and being the person to drive a one-to-one -one initiative and this personalized learning, I'm asking teachers to get out of their comfort zone. And that's a big ask. And so I decided what I wanted to do was to lead by example. So I got six administrators who have never performed on stage in their lives. Um, I have never sung in public beyond junior high church choir. Right. Um, and I got six students to join us. And we put together a band made of music teachers and one student. And it, to open the conference, I went up and started a typical PowerPoint presentation talking about equity and the why of you know, why it's important we do this work. And the, with our personalized learning, it's similar to a revolution. And what does it take to have a revolution in a small group of committed people? And, you know, there was recently this Broadway musical about a revolution. And as I started talking about Hamilton, I pulled the jacket out of the podium and pulled the hat out of the podium. And the band started playing, the curtains opened, and we basically did a flash mob of, instead of my shot, it's their shot. Mm -hmm. And we had the kids singing about the struggles that our high school students and all of our students are going through. And my principals really rapping to their staff about the importance of the work that they're doing and how our, our kids only have one shot and we're not throwing away their shot. How was the response to that? Um, the response was great. The, the, the message came through loud and clear. The, the teachers that were there have loved it. I've gotten so many positive comments about the energy it brought to the district, the excitement moving forward because this is going to be a tough year we're going to be rolling out 15,000 chromebooks to every sixth through 12th grader to take home over the next few months mm -hmm. and there's going to be bumps it's not all going to be smooth sailing so i wanted to raise that energy level and get people excited and get people connected to the why we're doing what we're doing and i think that was very successful you know i i opened up every talk i did this year so far with a dewey quote that says if we teach today's students as we taught yesterday's we rob them of tomorrow and i truly believe that and we have to just keep evolving and trying new things and trying to perfect it and getting better every day well, it sounds like you're making uh, great strides toward it, and we look forward to hearing about uh, the, the challenges and successes uh, with the Evergreen Public Schools this year. Dr. John Steech, thank you so much for sitting down with me. My pleasure. It was great. Thanks, Temple. And that's our show. Thanks again for being here. I'm Temple Lentz, and this has been Hello Vancouver. If you'd like to find out more about Hello Vancouver or check out videos of our live stage show, you can do that at hellovancouver.us. We're produced by High Five Media and look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. <laughs>